It's the Healthy Woman Show on WJR with Marie Osborne and Dr. Jonathan Zaden. Presented by Women's Excellence. Now here's your host, Marie Osborne. Welcome into the Healthy Woman Show. I'm Marie Osborne with Dr. Jonathan Zaden of Women's Excellence. Summer's wrapping up, Dr. Zaden, and the fall season, it's really almost here. So after doing this show for almost three years, I know that many important health topics come up in the fall for most people. Well, you know, the fall, you know, especially during the month of September, is mostly about awareness to ovarian cancer. You know, we're talking about PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. And we're also talking about genetic testing, which is, you know, more and more on the forefront, you know, looking to prevent disease and being better at identifying a disease process before it happens. I mean, I think this is going to be the new advent of what we do in medicine. We're on the cusp of it at Women's Excellence. And then we'll even be highlighting, you know, uh, just breast cancer awareness and so on and so forth for Women's Excellence this month. And not only that, later in the show, Dr. Zayden, we haven't forgotten, we're going to be doing uh, Ask the Doctor, and some of those tough women's health questions are going to be coming your way in our Ask the Doc segment. And finally, you know, uh, you know, one of the biggest topics, right, we've talked about this the last couple of years, has been uh, people, you know, constantly ask us, let's get more tips on how to manage our health care benefits and how to do all those things. And I think we're going to talk about that, uh, you know, probably spend five or 10 minutes at the end of the show just talking about that. Well, we're going to talk about all that and so much more here on the Healthy Woman Show. Stay with us. here on the Healthy Woman Show with Dr. Jonathan Zayden of Women's Excellence. I'm Marie Osborne and so much to talk about, Dr. Zayden, as we get into the fall months. So many important health uh, months, if you will, are, uh, are coming up where people have lots of questions. Let's start with polycystic ovarian syndrome. So just a brief overview. What is it? I know that it's a serious genetic, hormonal, metabolic, and reproductive disorder that affects women. I didn't know that it affected girls. What are we looking at when we talk about this? Well, it really, you know, polycystic ovarian syndrome is really more about um, your ovary not functioning appropriately. So you have the ovary, which produces the hormones that you need to ultimately provide childbearing and reproduction. And it also gives you, uh, you know, the hormones that that make you feel good in the premenopausal uh, uh, arena. So it matures gr- girls, for example, takes them from prepubert to puberty, and all of the things that the ovary does. And I think most of our listeners probably understand what ovaries do. They produce estrogen and progesterone. It's a complicated uh, matter that it does that, but but nonetheless, I think people get that overall general concept that the ovaries produce hormones. In polycystic ovarian syndrome, either the ovary itself doesn't function exactly the way it should, or there's a myriad of things that look like the ovary doesn't function the way it should. And that is what the main uh, problem with polycystic ovarian syndrome is. Now, those things can include a, a lot of different items. I know you know what they are, but you know they can be irregular menses, right? So people having irregular periods. It could be what we call in the medical field hirsutism. 
It could be acne on the on the face, for example, back, uh, chest. It could be, uh, there's a lot of things that it could be. Weight gain would be associated with it. Um, darkening of the skin, you know, around your neck, um, around the groin, underneath your arm, uh, you know, axilla or your armpit, these types of things. And then a lot of these people that have a polycystic ovarian also develop skin tags, little tiny little growths of skin. So there's a lot of like key features, but it's shocking to me how many people don't aren't diagnosed and don't know that they have this. And I think that's one of the reasons we want to highlight it on the show today. And I'm also shocked at some of the statistics that go along with PCOS, again, polycystic ovarian syndrome. It affects one in 10 women of childbearing age. That's about 15% of women. And despite affecting millions of women and the very serious health consequences known to this, it's unknown to a lot of people. It's estimated that 50% of the women living with PCOS are going undiagnosed. Is there a test for this, Dr. Zayden? There's a multitude of tests. There's not one specific uh, test. Everybody always thinks of a laboratory test as something that we drop onto a little cassette, right? Like a pregnancy yes. test. It's either a positive or a negative. It's not exactly quite that simple, but there are tests that are you know, readily available that are relatively inexpensive that can give us a very, very good clue on whether polycystic ovarian syndrome exists in a patient. And, and the truth is, is that I diagnose most of my patients by history alone. If they tell me that their periods are irregular, that they're starting to get skin changes like acne, that, you know, they're overall gaining weight despite the fact that they can't, you know, they, they want to try to control that. So they're trying to eat better, but they're still gaining weight. And then I always ask them a, a question, is there a family history of diabetes or anything like that in the family? Because we know that polycystic ovarian is, is related to insulin resistance. So a lot of these people are insulin resistant and when you just look at those, you know, few items and then ask that one question, oftentimes that will give us a diagnosis. And then we confirm that with laboratory analysis. And we also get an ultrasound. The ultrasound is very helpful here because polycystic ovary, right, is multiple poly cysts, cystic on the ovary. So when we look at it, the ovary itself on ultrasound, we can see multiple little cysts around the periphery of the ovary, almost like a little ringed um, uh, structure. And when we see that, that's kind of pathognomonic for this disease. So it's simple to diagnose, you know, once you get the history, the biggest thing here, and the reason that we put this first on the show today, and we wanted to talk about it is that, you know, again, you know, it's one in 10 women, and most of the people don't even know about it. And number two, I mean, it's a big cause of infertility and people need to know that and they need to know that there's treatment for it. And we have multitudes of treatment. I won't go into great detail about that because I know we're time limited on the show. But, you know, this is a simple consultation to determine, hey, you one, I have some of these symptoms. Two, I got evaluated. We get a, uh, some blood tests and an ultrasound. And then we can, you know, embark a myriad of different treatments, both natural uh, medication based and, and even, um, you know, stimulation for infertility, if that's the ultimate desire, to help them either have a baby or feel better, lose weight, and ultimately clear up their skin and just give them a better all uh, self-esteem. And women who are having some of these symptoms, they're listening right now, they have some of these symptoms, they just need to press their doctors about this. I think the biggest thing is, you know, we talk about this all the time on the show but it's really about becoming your own advocate for your care. 
right? If you know there's a problem and the doctor says, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with you right now. You're looking good. Have a nice day. I don't think that's really going to be the answer that you want. You have to press on and get to somebody who's going to listen to you and do a simple evaluation. And now, you know, hopefully the people that listen to the show will be armed with some terminology that they can use when they're in front of their doctor. And if they don't, you know, have somebody or have a doctor that they're using on a regular basis, then the doctors and, and all of our providers at Women's Excellence are familiar with this uh, disease process and can help them. We will continue here on the Healthy Woman Show with Dr. Jonathan Zayden of Women's Excellence. When we come back, a deep discussion about ovarian cancer awareness. That's coming up next. Stay with us. Welcome back here on the Healthy Woman Show. I'm Marie Osborne alongside Dr. Jonathan Zayden from Women's Excellence. Our next topic, Dr. Zayden, is a pretty serious one, ovarian cancer awareness. If you listened to our Ask the Doc segment last month on our show, you'll remember that one of our listeners had a question about how to catch ovarian cancer early since it's known as the silent killer. And that's an intense term for a topic that doesn't seem to get brought up enough. So we want to talk about it a little more today, Dr. Zayden. This is something that a lot of women really fear, Dr. Zayden, is ovarian cancer, because isn't it true that most of the time that this is diagnosed, it's further along because it just kind of inches along without anybody knowing about it. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the term, you know, silent killer really is, you know, indicative of ovarian cancer. And I have to tell you, so many of these segments, we try to introduce humor into them and, you know, we're, we're pretty lighthearted. And one of the things that, you know, made me go into OBGYN originally as a, as a career choice was that, you know, we had a lot of happy endings right? We, we deliver babies and they're, you know, mostly happy endings. And uh, we, you know, we take care of disease processes, even, you know, some of the more specialty surgical stuff that I do, you know, oftentimes just gives people a great outcome and they often change their life. But ovarian cancer is one of these things where I, you know, there's no humor in this. I mean, if you look at the CDC statistics, I mean, you know, it's the fifth uh, most deadly uh, cancer among women. And, you know, women have a, a one in 78 risk of getting uh, ovarian cancer in their lifetime. And that risk goes up as, as you get older, um, you know, about, you know, and here's some, you know, detailed statistics, you know, 21,410 women uh, receive a new diagnosis of ovarian cancer uh, every year. And that's from a, a recent year that we took that. And then uh, also, you know, 13,770 will die from ovarian cancer in the United States, right? So, you know, if you think about, you know, uh, you know, this is a, a significant problem. It's, it's not something that we will ever most likely completely control. But I think that when you look at ovarian cancer, the biggest items that we have are early screening. And I think we talked about that on, on, in the answer to that question. You just have to be very vigilant about paying attention to this so you can catch it at an early stage. And the problem with ovarian cancer is that the pelvic cavity, Marie, is, is, is relatively large. Yes. It houses the uterus, it houses the ovaries, it houses your fallopian tubes, it houses your bladder, and it houses, it houses the rectal wall. All of these things are in your pelvic cavity. So if the ovary grows, there's room for it to grow without you really knowing it. So if you get subtle signs, and this is what I always tell my patients, 
if you have a subtle sign where you're feeling a little more bloated or you feel, you know, like maybe there's some pain that you had with intercourse that you didn't normally have, or, you know, your digestion is off or any of those things, it's, this is not the time to think, wow, there could be something going on. I, I don't, I don't really want to confront that. I'm not going to go to the doctor. That's actually the opposite. Because for ovarian cancer, if you could find something in an earlier stage, I mean, your your survival rate goes up dramatically. If you find it in a late stage, your survival rate is, is markedly diminished. And that, and I think that's a, you know, real important facet of this. Again, you know, there's there's nothing humorous about ovarian cancer. There's no, there's no great things to say other than the fact that we're getting better at making ourselves aware, both as physicians and patients, who may be more likely to get it. And that really, you know, encompasses what, you know, what uh, this month show is about and that's genetic screening, right? I mean, if we, if we know who's more likely to get it, we can increase surveillance of those people. We can act faster if we find an abnormality, right? And then the patient also knows that if they get these small subtle symptoms, they're, they're getting into our office right away. And maybe we're proactively managing them better. Meaning that when you come in for your annual exam, it's not just an exam, it's an ultrasound. Maybe it's a couple ultrasounds a year. There's no defined um, screening regimen right now for ovarian cancer because none of them have been found to be real accurate. And I think that that's where we're at as a, as a profession is looking at if we can't find a wide scale application to screen people for things like ovarian cancer, how do we make the most statistically likely patients um, candidates for additional screening? And that's, I think, where genetic testing comes in. And so that's a long answer to, you know, something that's a very serious problem. And I think that we're, we're going to make big strides as we, you know, have genetic testing availability for, you know, all of our patients in the near future. I think it, the technology is getting better and it's getting more affordable and it's becoming less uh, confusing to both providers and patients. So I think that we're going to see a lot more of it in the future. Is there a link between breast cancer and ovarian cancer? There is. There is. There are certain genes that put you at risk um, for both, right? So, um, and there are links uh, between those. And, and that's what we're finding out genetically is that we're finding that, you know, when people are positive for these genes, these are the people that really need to be screened or have prophylactic, what we call oophorectomy, remove the ovaries. You know, there, there, you know, there's a statistic here, and this is, you know, for certainly true. I, you meant, I mentioned earlier that, you know, as you get older, the disease is more prevalent, right? So, you know, you get it more frequently as you age, you know, and they say that, you know, the majority of, of uh, people, half, uh, are diagnosed over age 63. Well, you know, it may be that if you're genetically tested to, you know, carry that gene for ovarian cancer, that for sure, when you're menopausal, when you become menopausal around age 50, you, you have your ovaries out. I mean, our surgical technology is so much better today. The chance of, of you know, you uh, having a bad outcome from the surgery, surgery may be less than the statistics of preventing ovarian cancer since it's such a deadly disease. So these are things that we're going to have to figure out. We didn't have this information, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, we had a little more information five years ago. We're getting a lot more information over the last year to two. But, you know, again, Women's Excellence being a proactive company, we've been in the genetic testing uh, field for, the, for probably the last eight to 10 years. And we're seeing huge strides in this. 
And we're a big proponent of it because, again, our goal isn't to solve problems. Our number one goal as a company should be to prevent problems. If we can prevent them, again, I always use this analogy. It doesn't seem like we're supermen because nobody really knows that we solved the problem because we prevented it from happening. But honestly, that's what we're doing best as a company. And so, you know, I think over time, our patients will realize that if you go there, you're, you're offered these tests. And even though maybe I didn't know even why I needed it, um, we we ultimately made a difference in their life that maybe they didn't even know. And that's, you know, that's the, the legacy that we'd like to leave behind to our patients at Women's Excellence. And we are talking about ovarian cancer awareness, and this is a the fifth deadliest cancer among women. Women have a one in 78 chance of getting ovarian cancer in their lifetime. And it's something that so many women fear, and rightfully so. It is a, a cancer that does not show itself until it's advanced, and that causes uh, an outcome often that is not what you're hoping for at all. So Dr. Zayden, it seems to me that it, that research here, as we're closing out this segment, research is really lacking in this area. Is that correct, or is research ongoing? I think the research is ongoing. And, 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 you know, this is where I think, you know, the capitalism of medicine really works. You know, it, you know, trying to get all of these types of genetic tests organized and, and, and available to people on a wide scale fashion is very difficult from, from a governmental perspective. But the capitalistic nature of medicine um, has made a lot of these smaller companies really invest in this space. And it's, you know, it was very, very expensive years ago to get genetic testing as a result of that. The tech, you know, now it's becoming more wide, widespread. And some of these, uh, you know, companies that have really invested a lot of money have, have furthered that. And some of them now are, are getting it to the point where, you know, patients really don't have much out of pocket because they've actually pushed the government to, you know, cover these tests, right? And and to put policies in place where plans have to cover these tests. So I think that we're going to see over the next five to 10 years that, you know, these will be standard everyday routine tests. Of course, there'll be, there'll be patients that don't want to take them much like there's patients that, you know, feel like, you know, the, we're giving too much information to the government. You know, we're, we're dealing with that with, you know, COVID and vaccines and all these types of things where we're, you know, we don't want to necessarily, I'm not advocating for people to lose their freedoms and give up their genetic code to the government. But what I'm saying is, is that, you know, from these perspectives, I think we're going to have a lot more information about, you know, the statistics of people, right? And that can guide in a cost-effective way how to manage them. And, it, and that's what we're going to need. You know, it, you know, at Women's Excellence, we look at that every day and how we, we put together treatment protocols for our patients. Because let's face it, I mean, we can, we can have tests that are thousands and thousands of dollars, but nobody really wants to spend thousands and thousands of dollars for proactive tests. We have to look at what's the most cost-effective way to get you a better outcome. And, and I think we've done that with genetic testing in our company. So you know, what I tell people all the time is that, you know, hey, pay attention to your symptoms, right? If you get abdominal bloating, you know, abdominal fullness, you know, you're, you're having a difficulty eating, you're, you're going to the bathroom more frequently, you're getting pain with intercourse, you, you know, you feel pressure in your pelvis, any of those types of things, get in right away so that we can, you know, we can evaluate you. You know, that may be something where we've already have the disease, but we can find it early. Get genetic testing. You know, if you've got a family history of any types of cancers, 
you know, talk to one of our specialists at Women's Excellence. We've got people that just do genetic testing visits and, and see if you're a candidate. You may be able to be tested completely free and then know that you get other testing down the road a little bit more in depth than a routine exam that's covered as well down the road because you had the genetic testing and you now know that you carry that gene. And remember, you know, currently, and I believe that this is to play long term, you know, there is no uh, pre-existing conditions in healthcare. So genetic testing is underneath that. And I think they were wise in passing that, you know, with the Obamacare bills, um, they passed no pre-existing conditions. You heard about it over the last election cycles where we talked about alleviating that. I don't think there's anybody that feels like that would be a good idea right now because we're getting too much data and we wouldn't want people to be excluded from healthcare plans. So I think people, you know, I hear people say, well, I don't want to know if I have something because then I won't be able to be insured. I don't believe that in the United States we'll ever see that. I think that, you know, those days are over. I think that people know what's coming down the pike. The politicians know it. And I don't think that we're going to see, you know, people get excluded because they have a pre-existing condition. So, Dr. Zane, I'm so glad you went back over the symptoms. So important that women know about those. The Healthy Woman Show continues here on WJR. When we come back, it's Ask the Doc, where anything could be asked. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Healthy Woman Show with Dr. Jonathan Zayden of Women's Excellence. I'm Marie Osborne and Jessica Roussette, as always, joining us for this special segment. And she's lugging in her mailbag. So that means it's time for Ask the Doc. Jessica, welcome back to the show. What have you got for us this week? It's good to be back. Um, actually, I think the questions for today are perfect, and I think everyone will get something out of it, whether it's for you personally or a family member. And then even some of the questions go along with the topics you guys were talking about earlier. So I'll jump right in. Um, you know, overall health and weight loss, I get so many questions on that. So there's actually a couple of those today, Dr. Zayden. The first one being, I eat well and exercise five times per week, yet my BMI is 31, which means I'm obese. Is that really indicative of my overall health? Well, certainly a weight is a component. Your weight is a component of your vital signs, right? Now, everybody's body is different. And, you know, BMI is based on statistical norms, right? So, you know, everybody knows different people, right, that are of different varying degrees of health. Some people are a little bit, uh, you know, wider just by nature, right, by their genetics. And some people are really, really thin. And we all know uh, those people, and it's really not environmental. But the truth of the matter is, you know, it's the BMI is really just as our best guest estimate of of what somebody's overall metabolic function is from a weight perspective. And remember that extra extra weight, right, is really excessive calories. So, you know, we need to know that, you know, clearly if you're if you're gaining weight, there you're storing excessive calories. So as long as we're on that same track when we have this conversation here, knowing that that extra weight is excessive calories that you probably didn't need to put in your body. Now, there's a couple of ways to get there. Number one would be what we talked about earlier. You could have insulin resistance that ultimately leads to polycystic ovarian syndrome. So despite the fact that you put less calories in, more of them go to storage. And maybe you don't feel good because you're not utilizing the calories that you're placing into your body as effectively and as efficiently as possible. 
So that may be part of it. So my recommendation to somebody who says, hey, I'm barely, you know, I'm eating just like my neighbor, you know, she weighs 120 pounds, I weigh, you know, 198 pounds. I want to know what to do is I say, get a good, solid evaluation. You know, as a gynecologist, I always do an ultrasound and labs. I mean, this uh, this question couldn't be more tailored to what we just talked about um, with, you know, things like polycystic ovarian, but also things like hypothyroidism or subclinical hypothyroidism. Some people run, you know, our thyroid tests are based on norms, right? But some people just don't feel good at those norms. They may need just a little thyroid to help them. So there's a lot of things that we can do to adjust your weight. And then also taking a look at at your diet and what are you really bringing in and how efficient is your body using that? And does, does your type, your body type and your overall metabolic makeup actually work with what you're eating? Cause you know, you got, those have to be in sync too. So I think you, you probably need a little bit more consultation about that and a little more knowledge might end up with a better outcome for you. Okay. Um, this one has to do with PCOS and this may be a quick answer, but um, this patient wants to know, since PCOS has caused a lot of weight gain, will the medicine I take for PCOS help me lose the weight? The answer to that is depending on the medication, right? So I'm, I'm answering a question without knowing what medications the person is taking. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to make the assumption that the medication was tailored towards the problem with polycystic ovarian. And I'm going to make that same, I'm going to make the same uh, assumption that that's the right product that was provided. If those are the case, the medicine should ultimately help the patient lose weight. However, I must add to this that it, it's a twofold dilemma. You can't take medication to lose weight and continue to eat what you're eating and not tailor your body, your, your intake to your body type and to that disease process, or the medication itself will not work. There is no medication like for polycystic ovarian that is going to work for you if you continue to, you know, take in excess carbs. You know, I see people that are coming in to our office even at times who are shocked when I say, well, you know, that iced coffee that you have, it's, you know, probably full of sweetener is exactly what you don't want to drink for PCOS. And they'll say, I thought coffee was fine for me. And, and, they're, and that's somewhat accurate, except for they're drinking it from, you know, one of the, you know, uh, uh, you know, fast food uh, places where they're putting in a ton of sweetener to make that a very desirable drink. And they're getting an, an enormous amount of calories from that. And they don't even realize it. I know that many of our listeners will say, well, that just makes common sense. But there's probably a lot of things that each and every one of us do that we don't realize what we're what we're actually getting in. And I think that's very important that you really sit down and think about what do I do on a daily basis? Because let's face it, in the ultimate, you know, in the ultimate starvation type diet, right? Everybody loses weight, no matter what metabolics you have. If you put 500 calories in a day or, or less, you're going to lose weight and you're going to get sick. So the people that come and say, well, I barely eat anything are definitely eating something. So you have to just figure out is, is what they're eating and what they're drinking and all the different ways they're bringing in these calories. Are they the most effective for them? And if they have polycystic ovarian, if they use the medications, and they do that, and they look at that dietary uh, alteration, they will lose weight. Next one. My daughter, who is 17, has very painful periods to the point where she's lying on the floor and crying. I've heard that birth control pills will help, but I'm not thrilled at getting those for her. 
but I also hate to see her go through so much pain. So I know this is a great topic for you and that you're very passionate about. Um, so it'd be interesting to hear how birth controls can actually help this. I just feel great because this isn't controversial. You know, I mean, you're not giving me all these ones where I got to blush and I'm afraid to talk to my my uh, friends when I see them afterwards because they heard the show. But uh, no, this is this is a relatively easy one. This is something that we you know we do every day. Um, I I have to tell you, um, I'm becoming more and more forceful on how I I counsel people about this it, more than I ever have, and that is for for years. I think the mindset was always avoid surgery. You heard me say this earlier, Marie, where I said, you know, well, now we have ways of doing surgery that are much less uh, risky, essentially. And, and I think that this question really is about what else do I do? I don't want to put my, I don't want to subject my daughter to a long-term medication. Um, I, I'm not thrilled about her taking that medication, but why is she having these problems? I want to get to the root cause of why they're having these problems. And I'm going to say this as succinctly as I can. The person that's 25, 27, 28, 30 years old that have infertility and problems with their periods and all those things, if you take their histories like I do day in and day out as a specialist doing things like endometriosis, what you find is that they were 17 and they had painful periods. They started at 15. They had painful periods. They had painful periods when they're 20. They missed classes when they were in college, but they've been put on birth control pills and we kind of diminished the symptoms. They were given narcotics in many cases. In some cases, we had to wean them off of narcotics. They were given, you know, potent non-steroidals. They got ulcers over the time period. They had to see GI when they were treating their ulcers because they were taking Motrin over and over again. You can hear my voice escalating. The answer to this question is, if you've got those symptoms, you probably should be evaluated sooner rather than later. And when you're not evaluated, that you turn into those people, I, I hate to say it, statistically, you turn into some those people that have infertility. So the answer, I think the mom is really saying, why do I got to give my daughter birth control? Can't she just live her normal life? She should be able to live as a girl. I mean, if birth control pills weren't around, what would we do? And the answer is, in today's day and age, I think we owe it to those people to be evaluated and then get treatment early so they're not another infertility statistic. You know, unfortunately, as you know, I see a bunch of people every day. And, you know, I know, you know, both you, Marie, everybody that runs the show on the back end, um, everybody knows that, you know, we see people every day that are put in these un unexplained infertility statistic and they've had pain for 10 years and all these things. And, you know, they're coming to us to treat, you know, at our endometriosis treatment center of America. And it all starts with this question. It's like, why wasn't somebody evaluating them earlier? We're, we're treating these people after the fact, again, Superman. After you have infertility, you can't get pregnant, you're in pain, it's affected your relationship, we'll evaluate you then. But when you're 17 and you're telling people you have the problem, we're like, oh, you're fine. The answer is get evaluated. Yeah, that's interesting. So you're saying that the birth control pills are pretty much just a Band-Aid. Do, do, do these people expect that they're just going to be on birth control pills their whole life? Or do the doctors think that eventually they won't have to take it and just for now take it to help your symptoms, but in a few years you won't have to? The mindset of this is honestly, you know, from the standard, you know, way that medicine has been treated, we try to avoid doing things that are surgical for patients, especially young patients. 
And I get that because, you know, there's a whole stigma to that. I mean, you know, to take your 16, 17, 18 year old, 19 year old daughter to surgery, right? You know, there's that question, does she need this surgery, right? And there's no objective findings. Most of these findings that you just talked about are, are subjective, right? I mean, you know, the dad of, of this patient, the boyfriend of this patient, the mom of this patient doesn't really know that they have anything wrong. They just see the patient affected every month and, and then they become questioned, right? You know, over and over again, um, you will find that these patients one time after another have the same problems. Okay. Now our last question for today has to do with the hysterectomy. And I know we have a lot of patients that go through this and th this one was interesting to me. And this patient wants to know, why do I still have PMS symptoms every month, even though I've had a full hysterectomy? I thought the days of irritability, depression, and bloating would be gone, but they're not. Well, a little bit depends on whether or not um, they had a full hysterectomy with removal of their ovaries, because technically a full hysterectomy is just removing the uterus and the cervix. And I can tell you just from my surgical experience yesterday, I had somebody that I did a prolapse uh, procedure on who had a hysterectomy and she told me she had a full hysterectomy with everything removed. We thought on ultrasound that she might have some ovarian tissue and clearly she had both of her ovaries there, despite mm. the fact that she told me specifically that she did not have her ovaries and they did a full hysterectomy. So there could be some of that involved, but people can get, um, you know, a monthly, what we call circadian type rhythm, um, metabolic rhythm, where they get uh, symptoms, even if their ovaries are removed, or if they're menopausal. So uh, it's difficult to determine exactly why they get that, but everybody is different and everybody's metabolism works differently. But much like people have seasonal change, people have, you know, uh, nighttime nocturnal and daytime, uh, you know, rhythms, they also can have monthly rhythms and weekly rhythms. And I think that's probably what people are experiencing. But the first thing is, is if they had a full hysterectomy, did they really have their ovaries removed or not? Because the true terminology of a full hysterectomy is just to remove the uterus. Bilateral salpingo-ophorectomy is the doctor talk for removing your tubes and ovaries. Jessica, thank you so much for some great questions from the mailbag this week. And when we come back, we'll talk just a little bit about healthcare choices as we get into the last couple of months of the year. Stay with us here on The Healthy Woman Show. back here on the Healthy Woman Show. Dr. Zayden, of all the questions you get asked or that are asked in a healthcare type setting, many, many, many are doing or uh, center on uh, things like scheduling healthcare. When should I schedule this test? When should I schedule that test? There are only four more months left in the year. And here's what we can do to make sure that we're managing our health care wisely. We turn to you for that, Dr. Zayden. Well, it's interesting. People really seem to want me to talk about this over and over again. And it, it shocks me because every time I talk about it, it means another year has passed. And, you know, we've been doing the Healthy Woman Show. I think it's been three years now and how fast these years fly by. But the truth of the matter is, is that that's a big part of healthcare now. We have to determine what the costs are going to be for a patient. We have to determine how to use our benefits, right? Because the, the benefits are set up to hopefully 
you know, from the companies that are giving them to you, uh, they're trying to get you to uh, participate in your healthcare dollar as much as possible. And so once you've already participated at that point, it's when they kick in. So you want to get the best benefits you can from them. Like, like anything, you know, if you, you know, wherever you go, you want to get the best value and the best value in using your healthcare benefit is to, you know, get to the mid part of the year when you've met, in many cases met your deductible or paid portions of your deductible and then address these issues that maybe are elective, but could be taken care of without a lot of out-of-pocket costs. And those things like, you know, in, in our field are, you know, bladder control problems, prolapse, uh, issues where you've been feeling pressure all summer long and, you know, want to get evaluated menopausal symptoms, you know, initiating a treatment plan for menopause can, you know, can be costly because we're doing a lot of laboratory testing and so on and so forth early on, you know, maybe some ultrasonography and so forth. And so if you can get those, uh, you know, get that stuff done at the end of the year, if you have pelvic pain, I mean, getting worked up and potentially being evaluated, that's the way to do it and, and, and use your healthcare benefit. Again, you know, any of these types of of things you've been putting off, this is the time to use them because in many cases, your benefit will kick in and you'll be able to, uh, you know, take advantage of it with limited cost out of pocket and get evaluated so that in the beginning of the year, when you're doing management, management is much less expensive uh, to you. And, you know, in the beginning of the year, you know, people put things off until the new year, you know, you come in in January to get a, a workup and you have to pay your full deductible. And I think people, you know, then start to look at that with the bills that came from the holidays and so on and so forth. And they, and they think, man, I should have done that three months before. So, you know, this is just a gentle reminder for everybody to, to think about, hey, you have this potential benefit, use it, get evaluated when you can. And, uh, you know, other than that, all I have to tell people is, uh, you know, stay healthy, right? Because, you know, you will work up all the, all the issues that we can work up for you electively uh, before, you know, your uh, healthcare year resets. And then, you know, of course, stay healthy uh, during this indoor season. It's coming up, uh, uh, you know, in the next month or so, we're going to be spending a lot more time indoors here, especially in Michigan. So, uh, you know, do your best to, to, you know, use social distancing and all the things that you, you need to do. Um, you know, clearly hand washing, all the things that were brought up, and during this pandemic are, are, are important and they, we should have been following them all along. I don't think we need to do anything so special. I think we just need to be using some common sense here. And don't you think it's interesting? I think that COVID has brought this to the forefront that we're now looking at this as an indoor season, which I mean, any doctor would tell you, of course, that they, you know, they always knew when September rolled around, the kids go back to school, we start staying indoors more, you start seeing more of flu symptoms, cold symptoms, and really just what you said, the hand washing, the distancing, the, you know, having a flu shot and all those things are just really important to good health. Well, you know, I mean, a little common sense goes a long way in anything, you know, if we can help any of these, any of our patients with any of this, um, you know, just please, you know, look us up at uh, www.womensexcellence.com. And, uh, and I hope everybody has a, has a great uh, rest of their September and we start the fall season off great. That's a deal, Dr. Zayden. Thanks for joining us today on the Healthy Woman Show with Dr. Jonathan Zayden of Women's Excellence. I'm Marie Osborne. We'll see you again next month. The Healthy Woman Show has been presented by Women's Excellence.